as with all of our other Lenten scriptures that we've looked at in this season, comes from the Gospel of Luke, this time from chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he is gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today is Palm Sunday, as you know. It is the day that the church traditionally remembers the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, which kicks off the beginning of the final week of Jesus' life, Holy Week. Our story for today from chapter 19 of Luke with Zacchaeus and Jesus, it takes place in Jericho right on the eve of Palm Sunday. And so our story today serves as kind of a preamble to the events that will take place on Holy Week. Let's take a look at the map here um, so I can show you where Jericho is. Not that you can see my writing on the map, but you can at least see a red line and a big desert. Um, so here is Jericho, just to the north of the, De uh, the Dead Sea and just to the west of the Jordan River. Um, it is about 17 miles from Jerusalem. The windy, dusty Jericho Road winds its way through the Judean wilderness to the west, 17 miles to Jerusalem. It's likely that Jesus went from here to Bethany, where he visited Martha and Mary, and then to Bethphage, which is about a mile from Bethany, picked up a donkey, and made his way through the Via Dolorosa into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which is also about a mile or so from Bethphage. And so today we are on the eve of Palm Sunday, and Jericho is, uh, was a prominent city in the first century. It was one of the few gateways to the Judean uh, mountains and so it was a natural place for people to stop and to rest. It was an oasis in the wilderness, in the desert there. It's also known as the oldest city in the world. And so there were um, about 20 uh, uh, settlement layers that have been uncovered by archaeologists dating back 11,000 years 
leaders for the city of Jericho. Of course, now in modern day uh, times, it is in Palestine in the West Bank. And, uh, and so this Jericho event is a prominent story in the Bible. It's a very well-known story, Jesus and Zacchaeus. In fact, it's so well-known, it's probably the most popular story ever used in vacation Bible school settings. Children love this story because it's about Zacchaeus, who is known as a wee little man. Whenever I think of Zacchaeus, I, uh, I'm reminded of Danny DeVito for some reason. And so, uh, so kids love it, you know, because they know what it's like to be little and to be at a disadvantage for their height. Not only that, but he climbs a tree. And, uh, and what kid doesn't like to, you know, imagine climbing a tree? And so this is a fun story. Let's walk through it together because there's some wonderful insights for us uh, in this text. He entered Jericho, that is Jesus. He entered Jericho on his way into Jerusalem. He had finished his, his uh, ministry up in Galilee. He's making his way toward the last week of his life. He was passing through it. And a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, when Luke says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was rich, we'll see in a moment that he was not paying him a compliment. The text continues. He was trying to see who Jesus was. We don't know why. All we know is that he was trying to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. And so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him because Jesus was going to pass that way. It's interesting that Zacchaeus didn't choose an olive tree with little branches or with little tiny little leaves but a sycamore tree with large leaves and large bushels of leaves, maybe so that he could see without being seen. He could hide behind the leaves of the sycamore tree and see what was going on, but not be exposed himself. We don't really know that for sure. I always appreciated this text because if you haven't figured out by now, I'm a little on the shorter side myself. And uh, when you're on the short side, you have to figure out where to stand in order to see a famous person or a prominent focal point in the middle of a crowd. I remember when I was in college and I was at a, uh, the beach and I had finished uh, some time surfing and a very famous professional surfer showed up at the beach and a huge crowd um, kind of flooded around this guy and there were all these cameras around and I couldn't see him because I'm short and there were all these tall people and so I made my way around some some bushes and I climbed up onto a stack of rocks and I was perched up onto these rocks and I had a nice view of this professional surfer um, on this particular day. You see short people we have this instinct where we we know how to look ahead to figure out how we're going to be able to see. Um, and that's what was going on with Zacchaeus. He finds his way up a tree because he's short and he's good at thinking ahead. The, uh, the text continues. Jesus, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried down and was happy he was happy to welcome Jesus. So Jesus saw him, recognized him, and he knew who he was. 
He was no stranger to Jesus. Jesus called him by name, and Zacchaeus was thrilled. The word happy there in English is not the best rendering of the Greek word in the original language. A better word would be joy or joyous or joyful. The word is Cairo. It's the same word that Paul uses when he talks about the joy of the gospel in Philippians and in Romans and in Corinthians. Um, He was full of joy. Now the plot thickens. The next verse, all who saw it began to grumble. Usually it was just the Pharisees and the scribes who did the grumbling. You remember the previous stories that we've been in and the Pharisees grumbling because Jesus is hanging out with someone who's unclean. Well, in this situation, all who saw it began to grumble. That would include the disciples. Even they were grumbling about this. And we'll come back to this grumbling in a second. But uh, now we can see why Luke wasn't complimenting Zacchaeus when he called him a chief tax collector and rich. All who, began, all who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Now you remember that if you were here from previous stories when Luke uses the term sinner like this person was a sinner. He's not talking about a sinner in the same way that you know we're all sinners and we all need the grace of God. He's talking about a public sinner who's known within the community as a really bad person. Um, And so when Zacchaeus you know was a baby his mother fed him His mother bathed him, his mother changed his diapers and put him in his crib at night to go to bed. And when she blew the candle out, there must have been times where she wondered, what will he be when he grows up? Will he grow up to become a doctor? Maybe he'll grow up to become a merchant or maybe a teacher or a rabbi, maybe even a lawyer. There's no way his mother ever looked at him when he was a little baby and said, Zacky boy, I hope you grow up to become a chief tax collector. I don't think any mothers would wish that for their children today, but certainly not in the first century. Uh, The system, the whole system was totally corrupt. Most of the revenue from the local taxes were sent directly to Rome, and Rome was the, uh, you know, the imperial occupying army at the time. But Rome had already figured out that there's a much more effective way to, ta- to collect taxes, and that is if you use locals to collect the taxes, because the locals knew the customs, they knew the people, they knew the language, and they knew how much money the people could afford to pay. And so various local Jews would all vie for the opportunity to purchase the local taxation franchise. Anything that these tax collectors could collect on top of what was due to Rome, they could keep for themselves as their own source of income. That meant that tax collectors were defrauding and even taking bribes from time to time from their own people, charging far more than Rome had set. And Rome had given them permission to do this. You can take as much as you want. Just make sure you give us this much. 
So it's uh, in larger cities then, like Jericho, there would be a whole bureaucracy of taxation. So you'd have the local tax men at the local booths, and then you'd have the middle management tax collectors who would arbitrate quarrels and conflicts between the locals. And then at the very top, the whole thing would be managed by a chief tax collector. And each of them would take a cut along the way. And the person at the top gets the biggest cut. It's kind of like the IRS meets Amway. (laughs) Might take a minute. You might need to Google Amway if you're young. The guy who was on top of this oppressive taxation system in Jericho was Zacchaeus. So the crowd grumbled. That's what Luke means when he says that this was a sinner. He was defrauding his own people. As we continue to walk through the story, there are a series of surprises that, uh, that Luke reveals to us. Whenever you study a passage in the Bible, look for the surprises. God is always doing things by surprise. And that's where the juice is. That's where the, the, the well, I, I'll just use that metaphor. Um, is good enough. I don't need another metaphor like the meat. Uh, The juice is fine. We don't, uh, but so the first surprise, of course, is that Jesus notices Zacchaeus in this sycamore tree. We don't expect that from famous people, that they would notice us, that they would know our names, not in the middle of a crowd, not hiding up in a tree. And so that's the first surprise, that Jesus notices him and he knows him and he calls him by name. The second surprise is that he would befriend someone who has done so much harm. As I just mentioned, this uh, Zacchaeus has, has done lots of harm to the, to the people, especially the poor, especially the people in that particular crowd in Jericho who are standing there. And evidently, they knew who Zacchaeus was, right? So because they grumbled when Jesus called him, called him down from the tree. Now, you've got to realize that uh, in the first century, to spend the night at someone's house, Jesus said, I want to spend the night at your house tonight. To do that in the first century, um, it, it has far more meaning than it does in our time today. It shows that you have an obligation to that person, that you feel a bond to them, and that there's a significant fellowship marker Uh, taking place. It's as if Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus, I see you as my brother and I want to become your friend. Um, It certainly would have included at least one meal, maybe more than one meal. And this is why it's included in the meal stories of Jesus in the gospel of Luke. Jesus receives the hospitality of Zacchaeus. But that's a surprise that he would spend time, spend the night with a person who has done so much harm. And that leads to the third surprise. Third surprise is that such a man as Zacchaeus, who has precisely made his money from being hard-hearted, from defrauding people and taking bribes and favoring Roman oppressors, that such a man would repent, would turn, and become so completely generous. Notice the next verse. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. 
You see, this is, this is not arbitrary. This isn't a random amount. Uh, Zacchaeus is, isn't just being hyperbolic. I'll pay back four times, you know, what I, what I defrauded. This is actually a direct application of the Old Testament law. If you have uh, stolen from somebody, Deuteronomy requires that you would pay back fourfold. Um, and so this is actually Zacchaeus saying in response to Jesus acknowledging him, recognizing him, receiving him, this is Zacchaeus saying, I want to come back to my identity, um, my covenant identity as a Jew. I want to come back to obedience to the law out of gratitude, out of joy uh, that he experienced. But this came from Zacchaeus. It didn't come from a judge. It didn't come from a jury. Zacchaeus said it, and that's a surprise. The fourth surprise is that Jesus would restore this man who has abandoned his identity. He was a Jewish person, but he has given up on following the law. He traded it for a taxation franchise, a large one at that, um, collaborating with the Romans, and now Jesus would restore him to his Abrahamic destiny. Notice the next verse. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. He may not have been living like a son of Abraham, but he is a son of Abraham. He's part of, uh, of, of Israel. Uh, these surprises, I think, converge. They all kind of come together in that one little phrase that I think if we can understand this phrase, we understand what's going on in this text and in the gospel. And that's the phrase, they all grumbled. They all grumbled. Why did they all grumble? Let me reflect on that for a moment. They grumbled because they were disappointed in Jesus. They were looking for the Messiah. We know that. This great crowd had gathered there at Jericho. His reputation had already spread. He had already done ministry in Galilee for three years almost and has made his way down to Jericho. His reputation is, has spread. And not only that, but Jericho is right near the place where John the Baptist was proclaiming um, that Jesus is coming, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world out there by the Jordan River was right near Jericho. You have to assume that some of the same people who heard John's proclamation about two and a half years earlier are at this crowd, are now seeing the completion of Jesus' ministry at the very end of his life as he's making his way into, um, into Jerusalem. And so they're prepared for Jesus. They're prepared for him to be the Messiah. They're looking for the Messiah and they have expectations for what the Messiah is going to do. Let me show you from John the Baptist himself. Right within, again, this very area where Jesus is speaking and where this event occurs, John the Baptist proclaimed that Jesus is this, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Take a look at this uh, passage. The great crowds uh, gathered around him in Luke chapter 3, 
starting at verse 15. As the, as this is about two and a half years earlier in the same, roughly the same location. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. John, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? John answered all of them by saying, no, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now when John says that he will baptize you with fire, he's not talking about a fire that will warm our hearts. He's talking about a fire that will burn up the evildoers. Um, so take a look at the next line. I'll prove it to you. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's John the Baptist's introduction to Jesus. And the next line in Luke's gospel says, with so many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Is that good news? It, well, it's good news to the wheat, right? But it's not good news to the chaff. And that's the whole point, though. The Messiah is to be like Elijah. In fact, the Seder meal, the, which is still practiced in modern Judaism, in the Passover meal, it has one empty chair at Passover. And the last thing that happens at a Seder meal is that the littlest Jewish boy goes out to the front door and opens the front door to see if Elijah has come and that they have saved the chair, an empty chair for Elijah. That's the Elijah chair. And when Messiah comes, Messiah will come into the Elijah chair and will fill, fulfill Elijah. Elijah, remember that great prophet of the Old Testament who defeated um, uh, who defeated uh, Ahab and Jezebel at the battle and the 400 false prophets. Do you remember that battle at Mount Carmel? After he won that battle, 400 false prophets were lined up, the evildoers, the chaff, and they were killed at Mount Carmel. The evildoers were destroyed. Elijah was the hero, and when the people look to the Messiah, we can tell by the end of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, and the beginning of the New Testament, and John the Baptist's proclamation, we can tell um, that from these speeches that they were looking for one like Elijah who would come and burn up the evildoers, destroy them, would point them out, would blame them for all their wrongdoing. They would be exposed, embarrassed, ashamed, and then the wheat, the faithful, the good people would be protected. This is what the people looked for when they thought about the Messiah. This is what they were looking for in the Messiah. A warrior king like David and a prophet like Elijah. But Jesus doesn't look anything like Elijah in this situation here with Zacchaeus, right? That's why they grumbled about this. He's actually going to be friends. He's going to stay the night at the chaff's house. He's not going to burn the chaff. What about all the wheat? The rest of us, we're good people, right? Now it starts out all right when Jesus points out Zacchaeus, points him out in the tree. Hey, Zacchaeus, I see you up in there in that tree. No one's going to grumble about that. They're probably thinking, yeah, point him out. Here he is, the evildoer. Let's burn him up. But he doesn't do that. But that's what they wanted. 
<clears throat> but the whole thing turns on that next phrase when instead of pointing him out as an evildoer, he, he says, I want to stay at your house tonight. And there the gospel is just on full display right there. This is the love of God for all people, no matter where you've been, what you've done, no matter what is your story. And Zacchaeus was joyous. He was full of joy, but not the people. They grumbled about it. But then the Lord says, this is why I've come, to seek and to save the lost. And those who have been following along in Luke will remember the lost coin. The woman goes and searches for her lost coin. The shepherd who goes and searches for the lost sheep. The prodigal son who is comes to his senses and finally returns home. So Jesus identifies with Zacchaeus. And in one week, the shadow of the cross will cover this incident because in one week, Jesus will do this very same thing at the cross and he will fulfill Elijah and he will fulfill King David, the promise of the warrior king and the promise of the powerful prophet. Just as 400 false prophets on Mount Carmel were destroyed, prepared to be destroyed, something surprising happens at Mount Calvary. Instead of the evildoers, including us being judged and condemned, Jesus will take our place. No one expected that. That's the profound surprise in this incident, incident that no one expects we have a hint of it here where, Zac where Jesus identifies with Zacchaeus and then Zacchaeus gains salvation and Jesus will pay the price for that salvation on Friday night. Zacchaeus didn't receive a grace that the rest of us don't need. Zacchaeus didn't need a 200 milligram pill of grace whereas the rest of us can get by with 50 milligrams. No. Grace is grace. And salvation came to Zacchaeus' house for the same reason that it comes to any one of our houses. Because God's in the grace business. That's what God does. That is his way. I have come to seek out and to save the lost. I remember being part of a church once long ago and it had a bumper sticker that said, Pursuing Christ together. And as a good Calvinist, I remember thinking it should be the reverse. It should say being pursued by Christ together. Because in the gospel, we're the ones who are in hiding. And God has come to us in Jesus Christ, searching for us. There is satisfaction in being good people for Jesus. There is self-satisfaction in that. But there's no joy in it. Joy only comes by grace. Zacchaeus received the Lord with joy because that's what grace does when you recognize how undeserved you are and how great God's love is that comes to us by grace. It produces joy. It is the greatest joy generator ever. But it doesn't have to stop the moment that we first receive it. When grace is abiding in our hearts, the joy of the gospel is always available to us. And of course, the word joy in the Bible is almost the same as the word grace. Cairo, joy. Charis, grace. Joy, grace, joyful, gracious, 
rejoicing. They're all in the same neighborhood because they all come together to weave one beautiful tapestry known as the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me conclude with this story. Um, It was told by a pastor by the name of Hugh Reed. One day a man named Alan came to his office wanting to be baptized. Alan had run away from home when he was a teenager. He wanted to go and find himself. And in the process, he wound up losing himself. He found himself uh, lost in Vancouver, B.C., strung out and trapped in a world of drugs. One night, uh, Alan decided to uh, make his way to one of the homeless shelters instead of sleeping on the street. He gets up into his bunk, staring at the ceiling. He can hear the groans of the other residents there in the room. He's trying to overcome the odors of the bunk mates next to him. And uh, he didn't know where he was. He didn't know who he was. But he wanted it all to be over. So as he was thinking about and contemplating um, taking his own life, someone startled him out of his thoughts when a call came into the front office. And he heard the person in the front office say, is anyone here named Alan Roberts? Alan's thinking to himself, how would anybody know my name? No one's ever called me by, no one's called me by my name in some time. I don't even know who I am. What is this all about? This must be for someone else. Is anyone here named Alan Roberts? Well, no one else answered, so Alan took a risk. He said, I'm Alan Roberts, or I used to be. The guy said, your mother's on the phone. My mother's on the phone? There's no way my mother's on the phone. I don't even know where I am. There's no way my mother knows where I am. This has got to be some mistake. Well, if you're Alan Roberts, your mother's on the phone. And so he walks over and he picks up the receiver. Alan? Sure enough, it was his mother. Alan, it's time for you to come home. Mom, I don't even know where I am. You don't know what I've been through. You you don't know what I'm like now. There's no way I can come home. It's too late. Alan, it's time for you to come home. There's a salvation officer, a salvation army officer uh, coming to you right now with a plane ticket and uh, and he's going to bring you home. She didn't know where he was. What she did was every single night for months on end, she picked up the phone and she called every single homeless shelter she could find until she finally found him. And so he went home, supported by and loved by his mother and influenced and inspired by the faith and hope that had sustained her. Alan began attending church and one day, went to the pastor's office and asked to get baptized. He didn't find his own way to my office, Pastor Reed writes. A path not of his own making was made for him by the love that found him, by the love that knew him better than he knew himself, by the love that invited him to follow me.
Friends, so it is with Alan Roberts, so it is with Zacchaeus, so it is with every one of us, so it is with you. While you were lost, while you were in hiding, while you were up in a tree, Jesus saw you, recognized you, called you by name, and he says, I want to stay at your house tonight. Will you welcome him in? Lord, we thank you for your grace. It is overwhelming when we stop to ponder it and think about it. There's no way we could ever pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and earn our way into your kingdom. We thank you that you don't see wheat and chaff. You see humans who fall short and who are in need, and you love us. So lift us by your Spirit. Come into our homes. Come into the homes of our hearts. Give us the gift of faith. And in doing so, give us the joy that causes us to want to obey and follow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.